you're going to do something else in yeah. your life. Uh, everybody can't be, you know, Rashad Evans or Michael Bisbing or an announcer or a play-by-play guy. And that's what everybody thinks they're going to do. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. I have the toughest guest I've ever had on. That's not only because he's born in Ohio. I have Forrest Griffin world champion, UFC fighter, Hall of Famer. But most importantly now, we have this great establishment, the UFC Performance Institute, which you are the vice president of athlete development for. And we had a tour earlier, and all I kept thinking as you toured me around this facility is, we stole this stuff from some good people. <laughs> right. We stole it from the best. That's what you're thinking. It's like the Taj like, Mahal, wow. right? Everything you was just stolen. stole everything. Yeah. But it's awesome. And wow. But tell me about how far the UFC has come with performance compared to, you know, you, you right. won the so, biggest yeah. fight of all time. It, I, and even Dana White says it was the catalytic yeah, fight it, of all you time. Know, it's like the, the turning point, right? So yeah. Kind of was one of those things. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you think about you have all these other things that aren't necessarily specifically fighting, right? So you have the kicking, punching, grappling, and MMA schools do a great job of teaching that. MMA schools, trainers, coaches, there's some great coaches doing that. But how often are those guys really working with actual certified strength conditioning specialists, registered dietitians, physical therapists? Uh, you know, a lot of times you have a massage therapist and maybe a buddy that used to be a bodybuilder, and, you know, or you played college football and you're like, oh, I got this lifting program from football. But it's, it's, not, it's not individualized for you. And MMA is the best sport for individualization, right? Think about John Jones and Cormier. It would be insane for those guys to do the same workouts, different ages, different body types, different years of experience, right? So uh, with every other sport like football, basketball, baseball, you train for your position. Think about defensive end. They all look the same. They all need the same physical attributes. But in, in fighting, your game plan, your background, everything about you, did you wrestle, did you, you know, you're not going to train Stephen Thompson like you would even, uh, you know, a... Uh, T would, right. you know? These people have different body types, different backgrounds, different training ages, and you wanna train for that, right? So you wanna be the best you possibly, and then you wanna take in your anthropomorphics and let that shape some of your fighting style. Like Tyson, man, he does not have that, his arms are not that long, he's a short guy. He was fighting, he was fighting the guys that were like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six with longer arms, and he was beating them because he, because he used the movement. He, he had a, a tactic to break, to cover that distance, right? So our fighters kind of have to do the same thing, and then they have to train to have that physiological skill, to have that physiological ability to develop the skill to close that distance or keep that distance or push their opponent to the fence or circle, whatever it may be, right? It's incredible when you walk around here, the technology allows you to have such insight with the experts that you have, the PhDs, the world-renowned yeah. doctors. But you know, even to the point, one of the most interesting things you told me was that you had uh, seen through, what's your degree in again, BT? Oh, my degree? Been there, done oh, that. BTDT. <laughs> BTDT. Yeah. So you have to mix, though, that emotional intelligence, that understanding of being there, but you actually then apply it to science, meaning, what's important 
in this, not yeah. the speed, right? You were telling me it's important as you move. To, yeah. It's not necessarily how strong you are. It's a rate of force development, right? right? So it's things specific to the sport, right? It's the same as basketball, you know, change of direction. These are the things that make for a good athlete in an open sport, right? So in a closed sport, you know, think about you're doing the exact same thing. Then it becomes like uh, bobsled is a great example. Those are great physical attributes, but that is a very close sport. You're doing one thing, right? Yeah. Uh, our sport is the most open sport there is. Think about it. Every other sport is a little more defined, right? You got to yeah. get a ball and speed skating. You gotta, yeah, go fast and go left. Yeah, <laughs> right. It, you know, yeah. yeah. It's very, again super closed. Fighting, it's not only so open, but it's new, right? So it's 25 years old. Legitimately, the sport's 25 years old. Um, so it's new stuff's happening every day. And what we were talking about earlier, and I said, hey, save it for the interview. I got a good one. You know what's changed the game? YouTube, the internet. This. So now, in my day, well, now, now you don't say, oh, I got I to gotta save this, hide this technique. You can't hide the technique. There's right. a million, billion fights. Somebody's doing the technique, somebody's showing it already. So now what you do is you get the technique out as fast as you can and you say, you know, first, basically, hey, I want to show you this type of arm drag when I do this. Oh, okay. And now a thousand kids see that and now they're doing that. So you really, so what's that done? What that has done is speed up the evolution of the game. In my day, I paid somebody 75 bucks for a seminar, so we kind of cloistered that knowledge in, you know? And a lot of boxers are still like this. They don't want you to see their drills. They don't want you to know. And I'm like, hey man, you know, I'm watching these drills for free on, on somebody else's Instagram. So you trying to sell <laughs> DVDs is not the greatest. So what you really have to sell is yourself now, right? So I have to show you that I can do X, Y, and Z in these drills or these techniques. And then you come in and I work with you, right? So now I got I to gotta market myself and sell myself as opposed to just selling you a book or a DVD. Which is so important because this whole business model with the Performance Institute is that the UFC started realizing the value of the fighter or athlete, I should say. But they started seeing that. Say fighter. Yeah. And early on, too, you know, there was that argument that the, the fighters were not valued. And now I see a yeah, major well, I shift. Mean, I mean, you guys give so much for free here so, to the fighters to make sure they perform well and last. So one, one thing I'll say without sounding like too much of a kiss ass is if you walk the halls here and you meet the people, 60% uh, of the, 70% of the staff here, they're trying to make the athlete's life a little bit easier. They're trying to make them more popular. They want you to be you know, rich, famous, et cetera. They want your flights to be as easy. They want you to get the most out of the media you have to do. So you think about all the people, um, you know, that, that really work really hard here to get the athletes where they need to be, get them the best flights, you know, get, make things as convenient for them as possible. And then you think about a place like this, like our goals in the UFC Performance Institute are very similar, if not the exact same as the athletes' goals, right? So we want you to be healthier. We want you to be able to fight as often as you can. We want you to have as easy a time as possible making weight, walk around healthy, close to your fighting weight. And if you do get hurt, we want you to recover as fast as possible. I like to use uh, Cody Garbrandt as an example. He was on top of the world, and then he took a year off. And so that popularity didn't grow. People forgot about him. He hadn't fought in a year, right? So it's like, oh, you know, how oh, Cody. So the UFC had to spend that money and try to build him back up again. And then you think about like a guy, I wish we'd had something more to do with his, uh, uh, with him. He's getting to the Hall of Fame this year. Um, who's a crazy bird, Michael Bisbing. Um, 
here's a guy, he becomes like famous, famous, famous. So he's built up this aura and then late in his career, he becomes champ. And that's when he starts making all the money is that last third or fourth of his career. That's when he made all his money. That's when he was super popular out. That's when he sold that some famous British uh, Coliseum out yeah. in like eight minutes. You know, that's when he was <laughs> like, so your money, your big money, like a guy like DC, your big money is going to come at the back end of your career. So if you can stay healthier, when you're young, train smarter, develop better ha habits, you know, the back half of your career is going to be a lot more lucrative for you, the athlete. And then when you do retire, it's going to make that transition a little bit easier because you have more money, you know, just, just more cushion, right? More leeway. Again, fighting is not your forever job. We, we talked, we just kind of briefly talked about it, but you're going to do something else yeah. in your life. Uh, everybody can't be, you know, Rashad Evans or Michael Bisbing or an announcer or a play-by-play -play guy. And that's what everybody thinks they're going to do. But, uh, you know, a lot of us will run gyms. I just run the best gym. Yeah. So. Well, but you also have this great perspective. I mean, you've written these Zen books, you know, which is incredible. But moreover, I see a lot of athletes that talk, uh, talk, but they don't walk the walk when it comes to transitioning into business where you have this unique perspective, you, you really see things so, on a business level. When I, I've seen this bef before, uh, myself included, I want to be a businessman, I wanna, but I don't, I don't have the education. And the truth is I'm, I'm too lazy to learn it. it it's, not, it's not impossible stuff, you can learn it. Um, so when, when an athlete retires and they're gonna go start their own gym, I say, look, you know the front half of the house, you know half. You don't know how to do the books. You don't know how to do the taxes. You better find somebody you can trust to do the back half of the house for you, or you better learn how to do it. Have your husband or wife do it, you know? So that, that's what you have to understand. And, and then a lot of athletes get into business and say, I'm good. I can, I'm a good public speaker. I can handle myself in a room full of people. I got important stuff to say, but are you willing to do the homework? Do you have the background knowledge? Like, you've been doing business stuff since you were, what, 17, 18? Right, exactly. Before I've been that. doing business stuff since I was 35. Right. All right, that's a tough, that's a tough gap to bridge. I didn't go to college, but I don't think I got a degree in political science. So if you <laughs> want to know about, like, nuclear nonproliferation, I can help you out. Right. Circa 2000, anything other Man. than that, I, I got nothing. <laughs> right on. So, yeah. Now, you do have mentorship, though. You know, one of the things about the UFC is, you know, they always say the fish is rotten from the, the head down. But, you know, like any team, league, organization, or business, when you have great leaders, it seems to trickle down. And I see the UFC always succeeding because the Fertitas and well, Dana and all these guys are so not only successful, yeah, but they mentor everybody. Now it's Lawrence yeah. and, and, and Pete and, you know, we have a great... So it's not just the leadership team, it's, it's like a clearly understandable vision. So that they have a vision that they can relay to me that I can relay to the people that work for me, right? So is there a vision, a direction? Uh, you know, for me now, my direction is, hey, we, we need to make this thing a thing in China, right? It's, it's kind of the cusp, right? It's, they're ready. It's 2005 or six over there, like in the States. It's a good time to, to develop that, that uh, you know, that, that market, yeah, despite what... It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Um, now, mixed martial arts is so many different disciplines. And, you know, as someone who's more a sports business person, a right. sports technology person, I'm consistently watching it going, what discipline... Because I have so many different disciplines yeah. in business that I'm yeah, good at, yeah, right? Yeah. I have a law degree of business, all, technology, sports. Yeah. Now, for you, what is the most, do you think, powerful discipline for the sport? Let me give you two could, answers. Yeah. One, um, 
So any form like wrestling, judo, the ability to control where the fight happens. Uh, if you're like Chuck and you're a good wrestler and you can, you know, avoid the takedown and make the fight a standing fight. Um, you know, just the ability to control where the fight happens. And then the other thing is what kids have today, everything. So they started learning it all. And I remember seeing this even when I was still uh, training and competing every day. I'd see 14 year olds that had a very similar skill set to mine. But they, you know, because they'd started doing everything. They didn't think, uh, you know, this, that, the other. I remember in Singapore, I was teaching uh, kids, like uh, elementary school kids, uh, martial arts, and they said, oh, you, do, you did karate, and I was like, I've never done karate, and they're like, those are karate kicks, and I was like, oh, it's just martial <laughs> arts, I mean, it's right. just mixed martial arts, I don't, I've never learned, a, I've never done karate a day in my life, but these kids are like, no, that you're doing karate, okay, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, it's like when you master something, and then you forget it and make it up as you go. And obviously on the marketing side, the boxer versus the, the mixed martial artists became a big deal. Where to me, as a business person in sport, the, I saw as a boxer, maybe. Yeah, but the like the straight boxer, somewhere. right? Like that's such a small discipline of mixed martial arts that I thought it was incredibly unfair to have ever a mixed martial art in a boxing ring, strictly just for professional boxing. Do you, did you see it differently? Like I thought there was no way that you could, a great boxer would lose in a box. In, in a boxing match to any of the MMA guys. Oh, a great boxer? Yeah, would, in a boxing in match. In a boxing match? No, yeah, yeah. You're a boxer. But it was a great marketing ploy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, I just had to get it out there. because You're a boxer. You, I'm you a business your guy. whole life. So I, I couldn't wrestle with Olympic-level wrestlers. I couldn't jits with Olympic-level jits guys. I couldn't box with Olympic-level boxers, kickbox with world champion Muay Thai guys. But I could do it all. Right. right. So and they that, could never right. get into an octagon. And, and even like <laughs> yeah. who would win in an actual fight? The MMA guy always wins because he goes in knowing this guy will knock me out if I try and stand over. So I'm going to dive in on his legs immediately. Right. So yeah. then it becomes unfair for the boxer because, you know, if you actually thought a boxer could wrestle and you didn't know he was just a boxer, you might he might hurt you. And then another thing I noticed as we walked around, there's so much visual aids as far as oh. recording and you, you know you took yeah. this big screen and you showed us what he should do has that changed the sport in the respect that a, there's something actually as a smart fighter now where they can study 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 and film, film studies changed every sport we've just as an MMA been a little behind um, or you know we're doing it but we're doing it on a cell phone you know like oh, okay and then you can't really um, you know I, I like to look at it like spark you're only going to fight 2.6 times a year or two to four times per year is the average for UFC fighters. Um, so if you get close to that injury, 15 minutes, 30 minutes a, a week, you're, you're, you're going game speed, as I like to say, record that and treat it like your fight. And, and the other thing is like the film doesn't lie. Your coach is like, put your hands up. My hands are up, coach. And your hands are not up. Your knees are straight. You look like, what do you think about that? Oh, okay, well, I don't, I don't love the way I look. I need to build my knees and, you know, I'm not. So the, the film doesn't lie. And speaking of film, the business of this sport is, I see, still in the infantile state. It's 25 years old, like you said, but because of the reach of video, uh, and you know, just entering China, for example, yeah. how big do you think the UFC can become? I, well, I think mixed martial arts would be the second most popular sport behind football, football proper. 
um, in just a minute, but worldwide. No, no, worldwide, worldwide. So, so football proper, good, yeah, yeah sorry. F football. That's soccer, football. just in case no one knows, okay? <laughs> uh, so the, the rest of the world. You, you know, don't, do you think it could be bigger than no, football? Probably not. Yeah. It, um, but, so there, there's, there, there's a ceiling, right? There's a saturation point. We might be close to that in the States. At the end of the day, it's fighting, mm -hmm. right? So it's people fighting. There's going to be blood. There's going to be uh, joints getting popped. I don't mind the blood when the joints get popped. Like, ooh, whoa, geez, <laughs> I don't need to see that. Um, you know, so not everybody's always going to be in it. And then people will transition out of it as they get older. That's fine. I knew that we'd made it. No, I shouldn't say it like that. I knew that the sport was going to be okay when my mother's friends started calling me up, asking me about Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture. How's that? That Randy's such a nice guy. You're not going to let that Chuck hurt him, are you? I was like, oh my gosh. Like, this these, cool. are my mother's, these are my mother's, you know, 45-year-old women. This is 46-year-old women. I think we're, uh, I think we're, uh, this sport could be the future, you know, there could be something happening here. And I feel like there's a lot of growth internationally because there's just not exposure to it, right? Mm -hmm. So then you need a Chinese star, you need a Brazilian star, you need Irish, whatever. You need a Canadian star now that uh, GSP is retired. So as long as you have something to kind of represent you and your kind of your people, you'll be all right. Speaking of those individuals, all sports are going to an individual brand, right? And there's a conflict between leagues, organizations, teams, and allowing the individual athlete to brand themselves. Well, there shouldn't be in this because those athletes are independent contractors. And at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know how to say this politically correctly, <laughs> you might not always fight for the UFC. You might go fight somewhere else. So you need to let the UFC build you. You need to get up at 7 a.m. and go to that interview to build your brand because that's, that's what you're gonna have whether you fight for somebody else, whether you retire and you're doing public speaking, that, that is your moment. That is your opportunity to shine. And I'll tell you personally, it sucks. Because 2008, 2009, my phone did not stop ringing. I turned down movies, I turned down this, I turned down that. I wrote part of another book, but you know, at the end of the day, I wanted to train, right? I had too much going on. I didn't, you know, I didn't, there were business opportunities I didn't get into because, you know, it was just too much. Everybody wanted me. Around 2012, 2013. Crickets. Nobody's answering my, my calls. I'm calling all these people back from three, four years ago. Mm, yeah. Who? Yeah. <laughs> when you were fighting, we were... So, and that's something Rhonda, Rousey did very well, right? Yeah. So she, she never lost that momentum. She kind of kept going and she's like, all right, I'm transitioning right here. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think they've learned from people like you. And it's interesting because working with so many Hall of Famers, the worst part of that is not only the crickets and the, the less revenue coming in, yeah. it's everyone else's perception that does know you thinks just automatically because you were, you know, right. the Hall of Fame quarterback or Hall of Fame fighter, that everything stills that way. And so yeah. you, I see a lot of opportunities not given to the Hall of Famers because some of the corporate executives are out there going, oh, you know, he's doing fine, right? Yeah. You know, and it's like, or, or even that you'd be too expensive. And yeah. they're just so surprised that, you know, Hall of Famers will go out there and do that. Well, here, here's the other thing I'll say. So it's a, it's a fine line. Um, you look at fighting, very mental sport. You want to know as far as training that you did everything in your power to win that fight. So that when you get in the octagon and the gate closes, yada, yada, dramatic uh, music effects, you know, hey, I've done everything in my power to prepare myself for this fight. I'm a little overtrained. I didn't go do that that three-day junket where I could have made 40 grand in three days. I didn't do that. 
because I, I knew that this is my bread and butter. This is how, so, you know, as you get kind of famous, the, the flip side of that coin is don't forget the horse that got you to the dance, right? Don't, don't forget the girl that took you to the dance the first time. You got there because you were good at fighting. All right, now if you can make some opportunities off of that, that's great. But once you forget about the, oh, I was actually, I train all day, I fight, you know, and then you're like, well, I do this and I do that, and I write, I write a book, and I'm gonna be on a TV show, and then uh, you're not training anymore, that's, then it ends that way too. So last question, you know, there's, it's a very difficult sport. Mm -hmm. And you know, like you said, that anyone that thinks getting into an octagon is gonna be good for you in the long run, you know, they're crazy. crazy. It's good right, for your crazy. financial health, yeah. short term. For and, sure. and, and a lot of parents right now struggle with allowing their kids to play football, yeah. and, and the sport or, has changed. Or boxes, or, boxes. Child or anything. Any, yeah. any collision sport. Play soccer. Mm -hmm. My daughter does gymnastics. I saw a kid break his arm at yeah. the thing the other My, day. So, mine's the flyer in cheerleading, which is the oh, most dangerous. Really? Yeah. You know, and parents, I have to tell this, I know we're running out of time, but the one thing that shocked me, because you know crazy fans, I'm sitting at this, you know, I, I, my, I'm not a big guy, so my daughter's five feet and 90 pounds, yeah, yeah. and they throw her, you know, 12 feet in the air, and it's a competition, and one of the moms next to me goes, drop her. And I was like, is this where we're getting to in sports? That I'm like, it actually could kill my daughter. And you're, you are rooting for someone to drop her so your cheerleading team can win. Can, and she's 14 years old on the world team. I'm like, I, w I didn't know. I like, told my wife, stand here because I'm leaving because I'm about to drop her. Um, but anyway, getting to this last I point. I wanted to say something. <laughs> oh, my wife did. She's much tougher than me. Um, last question, though. Would you allow, if you had a son, would you allow him? I try to get my daughter to do jits. Did you? Uh, and then, you know, she's all right with it. You know, I, I think definitely young women, and my daughter's actually relatively small too. Uh, it's great. You should do some sort of jits, wrestling, combat sport, just defense, handiness, martial arts, the, everything about it I love. Uh, but, you, you, so the answer is yes. Good. But for my daughter, she was braiding hair like with another girl on right. the side. Now, you know, right. They're not, born that way. This is not her passion. It's never wow. gonna be. I really appreciated not only the tour, but the interview. You brought a lot of light. I don't think a lot of people really understand what great business acumen you have. Your books are best sellers in New York Times. You're, you're humble and illuminating and a great sense of humor. It's around me and I have a good way of not getting in the way. <laughs> you're awesome.